Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father, who is in the secret place. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your heavenly Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light is, if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray together. Father, we just yield our hearts and our lives to you. We are your children, those of us that know you, and we want to be shaped and molded into the image of Christ. Father, I pray that you'd help each one of us here that have known the Lord, known you for a while, that you would help us to read these verses and hear you teach as if this is the first time we've ever heard these verses, so that you can fully impact our hearts how you want to, so that we could apply these things and have you help us apply these things in a way that would be honoring to you. We know that coming together, Lord, you're aiming at us becoming disciples and growing in that. So we pray that you'd use these verses for that purpose. And we thank you for the privilege of a different life that we get to live by your grace and by your power. So we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As I've mentioned when we started that Matthew, a Jew, is writing to Jews about a Jew, about the Lord Jesus as being the Messiah. I also mentioned that out of the four Gospels, Matthew's Gospel contains more teaching of the Lord Jesus than any other Gospel. So he's in the middle of this great Sermon on the Mount. And great is quite a bit of an understatement, I would say. Uh, It's one of the greatest teachings, if not the greatest teachings ever. And it's important for us to remember, and I mentioned this when we began, that he is speaking not just not to the multitude, he's speaking to his disciples. As we're, we were told that this, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain and he was seated. He was seated uh, with his disciples, or his disciples came to him when they were seated, and then he opened his mouth and taught them. And so he was teaching his disciples something when he started this sermon. It's very important for us to understand. It's not just for anybody to listen to or apply or try to live by. It's not just a, a moral code or healthy teaching. It's, it's something that uh, disciples are supposed to not only hear and read, but also obey for the life that he's called us to. So last week we began with the Beatitudes, and also we covered some other topics related to being a disciple. Uh, but today he, he continues this teaching, and he's going to talk about charitable deeds, He's going to talk about prayer. He's going to talk about fasting. And he's going to talk about wealth and how we get our needs met. There's a very specific way that he wants our needs to be met. And he wants to meet our needs more than we want to meet them, just like any father would have uh, a desire for, for, for or mother for, for their children. And what he's going to do is he's going to contrast two groups as he's teaching them, as he's giving them instruction, he's going to contrast the practices of two distinct people groups. First, and mainly, the religious leaders that he calls hypocrites, he calls, uh, you know, all these different designations. So he's going to contrast what they're supposed to do against what these religious leaders, these Jewish religious leaders, were currently doing when these readers would first read this gospel. But also he's going to compare... uh, what they should do against what the Gentiles do. And, and he calls them the heathen as well. 
So he, he giving them a word picture. He's going to take something that's familiar and he's going to put alongside of it, much like a parable, put alongside of it something that's maybe unfamiliar or new to help them be able to see how they relate to each other and, and, and how uh, we're supposed to understand it. So he begins with charitable deeds and how not to use them in verses 2 and 3. He says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. This presupposes that we're supposed to be very charitable people as disciples, very other-centered. In our culture and our sinful nature, we're very self-centered. But he's called us to be other-centered, to be charitable. He's not even dealing with the fact that people are going to be charitable. (laughs) To him, that's a given. Disciples are charitable. But how they're charitable is that issue here. Are they doing it for the approval of man? Or are we doing it for the right reasons. And the point of verses 1 and 2 and elsewhere is that we are not supposed to broadcast our charitable deeds for everybody to see. And we're good at it, good at it aren't we? We, are very, we can be very good at just making sure the right people are in the right place when we happen to do something really awesome. That people can get a really good view of it. and every, We can do it. It's in all of our hearts, right? Am I just talking to myself here? Okay, just want to make sure. I get an amen. Make sure you're alive. Okay, you're with me. So we can broadcast our deeds. And he's saying, don't be a charitable orchestra. You know, look at me, you know. Um, as a young kid, I think I remember a guy named Chuck Mangione. And um, I don't know why I remember that name, but he was a trumpet player. But the point is, they're broadcasting. I mean, you, you could do it, spiritually speaking, you know, you could... Play your harmonica before men to get rewards in heaven. I mean, it's, it doesn't matter what the analogy or what's analogous for, to it or the metaphor or whatever. He's saying don't do it so people see it because he's saying that we won't get a reward. There's these things called giving tokens now. I don't know if you've heard of them. So there's so much, a lot of giving online right now to churches. And I saw this where um, they have these tokens that you can buy for, your, for the church so that when the offering plate comes by or the bags come by and you've already given online, you're not seen as one who's not putting something in the bag. So you have a little token that says, I gave online. So that way people around you can know, oh, that makes total sense. You know, and, and, and isn't that crazy? Well, it's been reduced to that where we would care so much about what other people think around us that we would have to have a little chip that says, I gave online. I mean, it's in all of us. We all could, can, can be that way, you know. But we have to be careful about what we do before men. We have to be careful about our motivations. God is so interested in our hearts so much more than our actions. Again, he's contrasting with the Pharisees where, who were professionals at doing things outwardly. And being consumed with external holiness and letting people see things. And he's saying, don't be like them. He's already told them that unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now he's talking about a positional righteousness that comes through Christ, not just giving better. And he's not talking about that because we don't earn our way to heaven. But he's already knocking them down. Not only do they not have enough righteousness to get to heaven, 
but they're going about things the wrong way and they're getting their earthly reward now. And, and you as disciples, we as disciples should be very careful about this, very careful about what we mention to people. Yeah, I gave so-and-so, you know, two bags of groceries. Do, I mean, it's not wrong to share that. I'm not saying it's wrong. We have to check our hearts. Did I say that because I want to look good? Or did I say that because I want to encourage them that maybe they can help? Or, or did I just say it because I'm grieving over two bags of groceries that are gone now and now I can't eat as much as I want? I mean, there's all kinds of motivations that could occur in our hearts. I think you're somewhat like, like me. God is interested in the heart. And notice in verses 3 and 4, he tells us how to give. He says, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Secretive giving. You know, just quietly blessing somebody. Quietly giving towards a certain ministry. Quietly coming, showing up at someone's house. And, and saying, you know what, the Lord put you on my heart this week. There are people that hand me envelopes. And I greatly appreciate those envelopes that help. They come in very, very strategic times where I'm, my, I'm in need financially at times. And people are led to do that. I appreciate that. I've been on the receiving end. I've been on the other end. I just lost my reward. Sorry. But, well, I didn't say who. So maybe that, that gets me out of it. I didn't say who. Okay. I don't want to. But you know, sometimes we kind of laugh at the whole rewards thing. Now, up to this point, he's already mentioned rewards twice. He's going to continue mentioning rewards. It's important to, to the Lord that rewards are important to us. We all, not me, I, pff, rewards. I don't care about those things. That's, that's for those carnal Christians that are in it for what they can get out of it in heaven. And so, no, he says you need to be con- con- very concerned about your rewards in heaven because our rewards in heaven in part play, or, or they play a part related to where we are in the sense of what we're entrusted with and the, the stewardship that we have then. And I'm not saying that things can't change and him saying, oh, you didn't do very well in, you know, down there, um, but you know, now I'm going to change things up. Of course he has the freedom to do whatever he wants. He's God. But he says that reward should be important to us. And not just because what we get or what we receive, because we're going to be throwing him at his feet anyway, the crowns. But it, being concerned about rewards in heaven places our heart in heaven, and that's what he's going to talk about. That's where he wants our heart. He wants our hearts to be in heaven even though we are living on this earth. Are you concerned with God rewarding you? Is that something that's important to you? Are you concerned about Because if you're concerned about it, you want to find out, well, how does he reward me? And how, what, how does he bless me? What, what is he concerned about? What, and then he's going to get into that. He's going to get into what concerns him. The kingdom of God concerns him. Eternal things. He said that eternal things are, things that are unseen are, are eternal, and things that are seen are temporal. And there are things that are going on all around us, and we are bringing the kingdom of God with us wherever we go because we're bringing the king with us wherever we go. And as we yield to him and his power and his spirit, we're willing to use the spiritual gift, we're willing to preach the gospel, we're willing to encourage somebody, we are walking in the supernatural. That's what he intends. And we are focusing on what he wants to focus on in any given situation. He's called us to be leaders in this world, to be salt and light. We looked at that last week. So that means it's incumbent upon us to be yielded to him every day, taking up our cross daily, following him, to be about what he's about. And part of growth, it's sad to him. I know it's sad to him for people that can walk with him for decades and, and, and never 
be used by God in a significant way. I know that hurts his heart because he wants to use us for his purposes. Now notice he talks about how not to pray in verse 5. He says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. I've seen this in Israel, where they're on the street corners praying. I remember on the flight over there, the ascetic Jews, the ultra-Orthodox Jews, they got up, they went to the back of the plane. I don't know how they're figuring out where Jerusalem is. You know, it's like there's turbulence and everything, and they're, they're like, okay, I'm facing Jerusalem. I, you know, and they're allowed to do it, and they're you know, praying and so forth, and it's, it's, it's a show. And I'm not saying they can't have hearts that want to you know, uh, please God. I mean, there's people that before Christ had prayers, uh, Cornelius was one. He wasn't saved yet. God says your prayers have come up as a memorial. That kind of messes with our theology. <laughs> but he wasn't saved yet. And, 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 but God worked through those prayers to bring him the gospel. That's what God was supremely concerned about related to his life and his family's life. So it's important for us to see that God says, don't be like hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? Some of you are newer to the Bible. You're recently come to know Christ. A hypocrite is an actor. They would call the actors in their day who would do these stage dramas, they would, they would call them, those were hypocrites. They were actors. They'd put on this mask. And that's how they, they would change characters and so forth. And so it, to mean, it means to wear a mask, to be someone, you're, you're, you're saying that you're something, but you're really not. And you're putting on a show. You ever heard of a prayer that was for other people's benefit and not God's? You ever heard of a Christian pray and... You know, I'm guilty of it. Where I haven't even thought about it. You just think about it and go, you know, wow, you know what? I wasn't really focusing on God. I was just focusing on the right thing to say and, and making sure people knew all the information. And I wasn't really even addressing God in my heart. You know, we've all, I'm sure, done that at times. But we can all do it, you know, praying in King James English and praying in, you know, all kinds of crazy ways um, that can uh, put, the, put the focus on us and not on the Lord. Jesus talks about praying in secret. Look at verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to the Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. There's our word reward again. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need before you ask i believe the secret place about which jesus speaks here is where god is sometimes we like to call our prayer closet so to speak the secret place but later he's going to talk about the secret place related to fasting and i'll elaborate on that uh, when we get there but he's the, our secret place is you know in our place where we're praying where people aren't seeing and observing and saying how great we are because you know we're we're praying at this length of time or this time of day or whatever it is, it's very precious to God. He gets really specific there in verse 6. When you have shut your door, shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly, openly rewarded. I believe in this world, in this life, and also uh, reward you openly uh, in heaven. And then he talks about these vain repetitions you know we just it's like as if we're trying to convince god that we're worthy of being cared about 
And that's a misunderstanding of who God is. God already cares about us like any father cares. And so many words isn't going to impress him. You know, when you have your kids and they're, they're trying to get something from you. Usually it's money or it's uh, to be a permission for something. And sometimes they're just, if I just say the right things at the right angle at the right time and get them in the right mood, then I just might be able to get permission. And they're just talking and talking and talking. And you're just smiling and just going, it's not going to happen. I've been your age before. I know how this works. I know about repetition. I know how about approaching. But see, we're not approaching God like we're approached as parents because he's way more loving than we could ever be. And he cares about our needs more than we could ever care about our children's needs. But he says in verse 8, Do not be like them, for your father knows the thing that you have need of before you ask. You know, the whole idea of this is really being quiet before him where we can't be distracted, where other people can't see how spiritual we are by praying, and just getting alone with him and having intimacy. That's really the crux of everything with these verses, is intimacy. He wants intimacy with us. You know, we're, we have a relationship with a person or a God, not a system, not a religious system or rituals or anything like that. You don't love a system. You love a person, and he loves us. How would you like it? I said this a few weeks ago. How would you like it if your spouse told you, you know what, I'm going to discipline myself to spend 10 minutes with you every day? How would that make them feel? Not very good. I know our flesh hates it. Our, our flesh hates it because it's just dying to our self, self-rule and can, being in control. But he loves us and he wants time with us. And don't condemn yourself with not being perfect with it. You know, it's a process. Start small. Just be consistent. Try to be consistent. But just, I mean, sometimes people beat themselves up. It's so funny. Pastor, you know, I, I fell asleep while I was praying. What did God think about that? Well, you need more sleep. You need to go to bed. Or, I don't know. I'm just kidding. But, no. I want you to picture lying down in a recliner. And you're just lying there comfortable. And you have your toddler that you love. A toddler is lying on your chest. They don't usually stay there very long unless they're pretty tired. So they're pretty tired, and they're just da 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 and they're talking. I'm sounding like pebbles from the Flintstones. I apologize. But, you know, just like they're just talking, and they're just chatting and talking to you, and you know they're probably going to fall asleep, but, you know, they're just talking, and all of a sudden you don't hear anything else. You don't go, hey, what are you doing falling asleep while you're talking to me? You're just happy to be with them. You know, God is looking at us when we fall asleep when we're praying. He's still delighting in us, even though we're lying there sleeping. And a lot of times he does speak to us in our dreams. And I mean, we are so performance-based. It's so hard for us to get out of this idea that God is so concerned about our actions instead of who we are as his children. And And it's not even a fair comparison because his love for us is infinitely greater than how we love our children. But just plug it into how we see our kids. We want to get any time that we can with our kids. We want to have meaningful moments with our children or grandchildren or whatever. And, 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 and God wants that with intimacy with us. Now notice in verse 9, he gets into like a little outline. He says, in this manner, therefore pray. Manner. Another gospel, they asked him, teach us to pray. Not teach us how to pray, but teach us to pray. And we'll get there when we get to that gospel. 
But he, he, he says in this manner, and it's kind of seen as like kind of like an outline or a blueprint or a template, which is really good. And he, he begins with our Father. And the first thing I always talk about when I go over these verses or when I pray this prayer, I think about that we're sharing our Father with other people. The very first word in what's called the Lord's Prayer, it's really the disciples' prayer. His prayer is Acts, or, uh, John 17. The Lord's Prayer is John 17, I believe. But right away, he has us. He doesn't say, pray in this manner, my Father who is in heaven. That'd be correct, right? But he says, our Father. He wants us to be aware that we're sharing him, that we're part of a larger whole, very anti-Western, very anti-sinful nature, that he wants us to be concerned about the whole body of Christ. We're sharing him. We're part of a family. We're part of a larger whole. But he's also our Father, and he's... You know, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. And your name means your character, your essence, who you are, who you represent. And he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we'll, co- we'll cover that kingdom in a, in a minute. But I want to continue on in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Personal needs. He knows we have personal needs. So he says, bring it up. Ask. So you can go and take one of these words or one of these concepts, one of these topics, and we could just go in our, in our prayer times, just go all different places depending on the day, depending on what's going on in our lives at that moment. And just you're camping on one little principle for a long time and going so far with just, just the worship of hallowed be your name. How long can you go on with that? Or our Father, the body of Christ, or that he is our Father. But he says we can ask, give us this day our daily bread. Notice it says daily there. It doesn't say give us our weekly bread, our monthly bread, our quarterly bread. Uh, he knows that we have needs every single day, which presupposes that we should be praying according to this template on a daily basis. That our needs are daily and our dependence upon him is daily. If we're sowing into the kingdom and our God is not mammon and we have one master, then many times our needs are going to be daily and be trusting on, on him to meet our needs on any given day because we've given the rest away or we've invested in the kingdom so much to the point where we need God to help us that day or whatever the situation we may find ourselves. But then he says, he touches on forgiveness in verse 12, and forgive us, give us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts, however you want to word it. Forgive us. And, he, and it's, this, it's this relationship. We need to confess our sins to him. Sometimes we can go for weeks or years, unfortunately, and never confess a sin to him. And the standard still remains perfection. We learned that when we came to know Christ. We couldn't meet that standard of perfection, but somehow after we become a Christian, we don't realize that the standard, or we forget that the standard still is perfection, and we still need to confess our sins to him that we think about. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of sins that we commit we're not even aware of. So we can ask forgiveness for those. The sins that I don't even remember doing, God, forgive me for, for those. And he says that should be something that we should be engaged in on a regular basis. But then he gets to spiritual warfare. He says, verse 13, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, James tells us he doesn't tempt anybody. But when we're carried away by our own lusts and so forth, we are tempted and, and enticed. 
So it's asking, we're asking for protection from spiritual warfare, for protection from the enemy's plans towards our life, to hurt our lives, to make our lives worse, to, to tear apart or to work against our relationship uh, with him. And then he says, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So he ends in praise. So unity, relationship with the Father, worship with hallowed be your name, his being concerned about his kingdom, our personal needs. Then he, then he talks about confession, repentance, and forgiveness, spiritual warfare, and praise. Those are a lot of topics that we can cover. A lot of different places the Holy Spirit on any given day can take our hearts to go and cover and talk about and discuss with him as we are in that room or wherever we're at that's private where he in the secret place is listening to us and hearing our requests. I believe the heart of that prayer is verse 10 with talking about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, this whole entire sermon is really about that. Charitable deeds, prayer, wealth, all these things is about his kingdom and, he, and having his will be done. When we're being used to give to somebody else and help them, giving our charitable deeds, we're, we're building up the kingdom. When we're praying to him, we're praying concerning the things of the kingdom in our lives. When we're talking about wealth, we're talking about trusting him to meet our needs so that we can be freed up to focus on the things that are important to him. It's all about his kingdom. Verse 10, your kingdom come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come quickly. We're waiting for you. So this is allowing us to keep the focus of him coming back and his second coming and the rapture and all those things at the forefront of our heart. That any moment he could change my world, <laughs> rock my world by, by taking us out of here when the last Gentile is saved and for his will to be done on earth as it's already being done in heaven. That's the sense. So it's, it's Lord, anything that you want to do today in my life, I want your agenda. I want my day plan. I don't use day planners probably anymore, but I want my day planner to be your day planner. I want your agenda. I want to do your will today. Show me what it is you want me to do. And how many of us who have not done that and not cried out to him and prayed and sought him on any given day, how much of us have suffered as a result of being out of sync with his spirit and what he wants to accomplish in and through our lives on any given day? We've suffered as a result of it. And when we do it, when we take up our cross and we follow him and we obey him and when we commune with him and we worship him and we pray to him and we're tuned in to all these things and we prayed through and all these things, then our day is completely different, isn't it? Now, Paul said to pray without ceasing. There's, it's not just a one-time thing, but so much of our day is, is um, shaped around our time with him. So we want God's will to be done and we want his his will through our lives to be done with his agenda. He continues in verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. So he's already said back in chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, he said, Blessed are, are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. So he's already told them that's going to happen. People are going to sin against you. They're going to hurt you. And they're going to want to destroy you. They're going to want to hurt you deeply. 
And you need to be walking in forgiveness and be gracious and so forth and seeking to bless them supernaturally by God's grace and by his power to bless them and help them and not return evil for evil. Not be overcome with evil, but overcome, uh, not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And so that's the standard. And it's, of course, really hard for us to think about. How can, how can I do that at any given moment? By trusting in him. By having that time in the secret place of our hearts and, and that, having that devotion time and that time of worship with him, but also communing with him throughout the day, asking for his spirit to refill us, all these things give us supernatural power to bless people uh, when, when they definitely don't deserve to be blessed and to forgive them. Now, what does it mean he won't forgive us um, of our trespass? It'd be easy for me to just skip over that, move on. Yeah, we covered most of it but we're going to keep going. I honestly don't know what that means. I don't believe it has to do with um, our salvation. I believe that's a positional standing that we have with God. Uh, I think it, it has to do a lot with communion and fellowshipping with him. And, and, and I believe that um, when he says in other places that our prayers can be hindered, First Peter tells us our prayers can be hindered. In other contexts, he says our prayers can be hindered. That fellowship and that communion with him, it's like as if I have um, a problem with my sibling. My relationship with my parent, our mutual parent, is not going to be the same and be what God wants it to be if there's problems with the sibling there. And it's kind of the same way. He wants us to be walking in forgiveness with uh, everybody always because sometimes we forget how much we've been forgiven of. Think about the parable he talked about, the man that was forgiven, I think the equivalent of like $10 million, and he was in prison, and, and the person forgave him, and then he got out, and then he didn't forgive someone for far less of an amount, like $10 or $100, I forget what it was. And, and he's talking in the context of forgiveness. So it shows that he has a very low tolerance for unforgiveness for disciples. So he wants us to forgive. Now, how do I forgive? Well, first of all, forgiving doesn't mean trusting again just because i've forgiven you doesn't mean i have to trust you or put myself in the place of being hurt again that needs to be understood secondly it's kind of like see it as like letting them off the hook and entrusting them to god and the second part of that people usually forget when they're having a hard time with forgiving somebody it's letting them off the hook yeah but you're also thinking about how god's involved in their life and that either they're going to get saved and God's going to forgive them and change them like we should want, or they're going to get their punishment in the end. We can entrust the situation. We can entrust them to God. We don't have to, um, and we don't give them the quote-unquote privilege to withhold letting them off the hook. And it's not just a one-time thing. Many times, if you've been hurt deeply by somebody, it's not just a quick little thing that you say and everything's, you know, they're still going back to it and still honoring the Lord and saying, I forgive this person, Lord. I let them off the hook and I entrust them to you. Entrusting them to God really helps us let them off the hook. And, and, and so it's a process. It's not just necessarily a one-time thing. Again, God's concerned with the, the, heart, the, the heart of the disciple because outwardly we could pretend like everything's fine. We could be around them. We can make other people think that we've forgiven them. But our heart is like, you know, I'm just horrible towards them. And everyone doesn't even know it. But in our hearts, we're just like, give me a chance to get them alone. and I'll, You know, whatever. 
it's not, he cares about the heart. And so he knows if our heart isn't, uh, isn't uh, forgiving towards a certain person. Now he gets to fasting in verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad, sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. There's our word reward again. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Some of us seem to do that anyway. <laughs> We're fasting or not. Sometimes we, anyway. So, um, verse 18, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but your, to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So the secret place where the Father is, it's, he's not in your prayer closet watching you in the marketplace showing everybody that you've been fasting. He's not in your closet. Okay, the secret place is heaven. That's where he's at. You can have your own secret place. That's fine. But when he's talking about the secret place, when we're talking about prayer, he's talking about the Father in the secret place. He's in heaven, and he sees from heaven. That's why I said I would get to it when we got to the part where we're talking about fasting. Now, fasting is something we don't talk a lot about in, in church a lot. Um, God only required the old uh, Jews in the Old Testament to, to fast one day uh, a year. That was the Day of Atonement. And, but the tradition ended up being with the Pharisees to, for them to fast twice a day, um, or twice a week, rather. And can you imagine changing that from once a year to... I mean, there's other times where they could fast. I'm not saying they didn't fast any other time. But they changed it to two times a week. So um, I'd like us to hold our place here real quick. Turn over to Isaiah. And I want us to look at something related to fasting that might help us how God sees fasting and um, there's a history with his people with fasting there's different purposes for it Isaiah chapter 58 now the beginning of the chapter there it's basically demonstrating how not to fast and his people were half-heartedly fasting they weren't doing it the way that he wanted it to be done and so forth and he's speaking there in Isaiah 58 and I want us to begin reading in verse 6, where it says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? See, one of the reasons that we could need to fast is we need a breakthrough. We just need to seek God, and we need a breakthrough. We need some yoke broken. And, and I believe this is the verse that Jesus is referencing that I believe the disciples would understand when he talks about that certain demons will not be cast out except by prayer and fasting. I believe he's referencing verse 6 of Isaiah 58. Then he continues, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? This is God's heart. He has a heart for the poor. When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself, from your own flesh. And, and, and a lot of times people have fasted to say, I'm going to use the money that I would have spent to eat that meal or to, to eat during that period of time, and I'm going to give to the poor. That's been done historically in Christianity. I'm going to take this money that I normally would use to eat. For some of us, that could be quite a bit. I'm just talking about myself here, you know. No, I'm not going to continue on that line of thought. But money, money you could, we could spend a lot of money on food. 
And, and, and that money can be used, if we're led by the Lord to fast in this way, that money, we can be led by the Lord to take that and to give that certain amount to the poor. But he continues in verse 8. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So it, we could ask for healing. We could ask for God to work in our, in our hearts in that way, deliverance and so forth. And then he says, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Verse 12, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of, of the streets to dwell in. Another reason that we can be led to, to fast is for restoration to happen, or you could even say revival to happen. How many revivals have happened because people uh, fasted and prayed? Almost every single one that I can think of happened when people fasted and they prayed. And when you're fasting, you can turn back to um, Matthew 6. When you're fasting, you're starving your flesh. And for some reason, you're able to hear God clearer many, many times. When you're fasting, again, you don't want to advertise it. You don't want to say, hey, I'll put a sign around your neck. Say, hey, I'm guess who's fasting today? You know, um, we're, we're not above doing that in our flesh. But we're not supposed to advertise it. But we're supposed to just seek him. You can fast a meal. You can, I mean, there's all kinds of different fasts you can do. I would not recommend starting out with 40 days. You know, just, I'm going to start 40 days. It's like the Lord. No, you, you, you should, I mean, I'm not saying God can't lead you to do that, but you can just fast a lunch or fast one meal or fast one meal one week or one whole day. The, the Lord can lead you to, to do that, but the, the key is to be secretive about it, to recognize that God cares about it, and, and he, he hears us as we seek and as we pray and as we call upon him. You know, in Acts chapter 13, before they were going to send out uh, Saul and Barnabas, they ministered to the Lord and they prayed and they fasted. And then the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. So they were seeking. So there's the times when God quickens us by his spirit to say, call upon me and pray fast and, and seek me with your whole heart. And I will answer and I will, I will pour out and I will show you what you should do. And, and so it's a beautiful thing. But again, we shouldn't do it for people to to see. Now he gets this last, last section dealing with wealth. In verse 19 he begins, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where ne thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he wants our hearts in heaven. Again, he wants our hearts in heaven. And we are so focused on accumulating things. It's probably dated to say keeping up with the Joneses, you know. Um, but, oh well, I'll be dated. But we, we just want to accumulate things. And we're all can, can, guilty of it where we can be putting the, the kingdom of ourselves, our own kingdom, ahead of the kingdom of God. And he says, do not 
Notice in verse 19, do not. He's commanding us not to do it. We can't have be consumed with this world. We have to put him first and his kingdom first. It's very convicting, isn't it? I'm, I'm convicted. Verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So it's a searching question. Where, where are your investments? You know, the stock market just tanked 530 points on Friday. And they're, they're, they're wondering what's going to happen on tomorrow. They could go another hundreds of, you know. And I, it's not wrong to invest in the stock market. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying our, our time, our talents, our everything should be fully invested in the kingdom first and, and, and being good stewards of what he's entrusted us with and have that be what we're fully concerned with. As he says, you can't have two masters. Why do we think that we can do that? Why do we think that somehow we can pull it off? No one else has ever been able to pull it off. He says it's impossible, but somehow I can do it. I can serve God and money at the same time. I can, and, and he says it's impossible. You can't do it. You can't pull it off, no matter how hard we try. Now he says this is interesting in verse 23. Verse 22, he says, the lamp of the body is the eye, and therefore if your eye is good, now the word good there is the word single. And it's talking about a single focus. If your eye has a single focus, remember he's talking about God and money. If your eye has a single focus, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, now that word's interesting because that word means uh, folded. It means like two things that are, or one thing that's folded in half. It's folded and it has two parts to it or it's a duplicity to it. And he, he's saying, you can't do that. You can't have your whole body trying to focus on two things, God and money at the same time. Because if that happens, notice what he says. He says, your whole body will be full of darkness. So we can't balance the two and serve two of them at the same time. He says if we try to do that, our body will be full of darkness. And then he adds to it, how great is that darkness? That verse is passed over all the time. He's saying, don't you realize how vast the darkness is if you are double-minded related to serving God and serving money? Your body is full of darkness as a result of your eye not being trained to have a single focus on God and Him alone first. And that's the fullness of what he's saying. And it's very convicting. And it's, it's searching for our hearts. We need to put Him at the forefront of everything. And then he says, let me add to that, verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, 
Oh, you of little faith. I mean, now he's getting to the real heart of the issue. It's about faith. It's about trusting God. So we say, yes, I know intellectually. I should be trusting in God and not trusting in money and focusing all my time, energy, attention, and everything on money. But the reason is why we do that is because sometimes we just don't trust that God's going to meet our needs. We just don't. But what has he promised? He's promised clothing and food. He's, he's what we should, what we are going to drink. He's not even promised us housing. Did you know that? He didn't have a house. He's not promised you a house. He's promised you food and clothing and drink. That's what he's promised. And that's really ultimately what we need. And we can be homeless. And maybe there'll be a time in our lives where we find ourselves homeless. There's people in our church that are in that situation right now. Anything could happen to any of us at any time where we're homeless. You know, right now, the house that I rent, <laughs> there's, there's a, a well, and it's going to dry up. It should have been dried up already by now. And when that thing dries up, we'll have to evacuate immediately because it's against the law to be in a house as a, as a tenant without running water. So I, I could go home today and have them say, sorry, you've got you to leave the premises. So it's very real to me <laughs> that we could be homeless at any moment. So I might be in the Hope Shelter. I might be in one of your houses. Get ready. <laughs> in verse 26, when he says, look at the birds of the air, that's a very, very specific word to fix your gaze on something. To fix your gaze. Observe fixedly. Discern clearly. You ever watched a bird? Just watch a bird. So busy. But none of that busyness, none of that activity is directed towards wondering how it's going to be taken care of. It's a perfect picture of the Christian. We should be very busy about the Lord's business, but not one bit of our activity should be worrying about how our needs are going to be met. And all of us are guilty of, of not doing that right. All of us are. So, that's a, so he says, look at the birds. Examine them. They're not stressed out and worried and ring you know they can't they don't have hands to ring but they could maybe do their their, their you know you know their uh, wings you know and be concerned about it. they're not stressed out about it but then he says look at verse 28 consider the lilies that's a very powerful word there it means to learn thoroughly to note carefully look at a lily and all the notice he says um how they grow that's what we're supposed to consider not just the lilies in general how they grow how do they grow? Effortlessly. They grow because God made them to grow. And they're beautiful. They're just an expression of God's love and faithfulness. They're just an object of God's creativity and beauty and, and love and, and, and blessing us with the beauty of those, those lilies. So as we consider that, we, we, we need to recognize we're more valuable than birds. We're more valuable than flowers. And, and so God knows what we need before we even ask. You ever have your, say that to your kids? I know what you need before you ask. They're not always thrilled to hear that. And we aren't either. They're, you know, we don't want to hear him say that. But do you really? Do you really know my needs, God? Sometimes it doesn't look like you really know what my needs are. But he knows what you're, he knows, he defines your need. Not what our wants are. 
And what he allows always is filtered through his father's heart and his, what he loves, how he, what he's trying to accomplish in our lives and what he's trying to do in our lives and what's for our best and so forth. It's always, and the more we grow in trust and faith in him that he knows what he's doing, he's greater than even what people mean for evil in our lives, then we can trust him and we can be at peace because he says we can't add, we can't do this by worrying. See how I went up a little bit? For you podcasters, I just went on my tippy toes. Went up. We can't even make that happen in our real height by worrying. We can't add one day to any of that. So he says, therefore, do not worry. Verse 31. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And this verse 33 is critical. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. One of the challenges about teaching the Bible is that you're teaching higher than what you live. I wish I could say I've never worried. I wish I could say I've never, you know, fallen into any of these things, but I'd be lying to you. We're all in the same boat. It is a sin to worry. It is. He says, do not worry. Just because he doesn't say worry and a little equal sign, sin. Uh, we don't need that to see that he's saying, do not worry about tomorrow. We can't change anything. You know, I've heard it said that's the biggest waste of time. You can never change one thing about anything with worry. Honestly, it's just, it's just a worthless exercise. We don't change anything. But he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added. All, what are the, these things? The food. What shall we drink? What shall we wear? He'll take care of those things. What the great thing is is that he's using our church to supply these things for people that don't have them. And he's using that in part for them to come to know him, to show that he was faithful to them even before they came to know him. And it's a beautiful thing. So we need to put him first. Put him and his kingdom first and his righteousness. Have that be... The very, at the forefront of our mind every day, and I believe just even with the small amount of people in this room, there's all different hearts here, all different places in their walk, so forth. And I I just want to encourage you today. If you have been distant from him, you know that you haven't put him first in your life. And I don't mean just by a few degrees. I'm talking about significantly you haven't put him first in your life. You are hurting yourself. But someone that you're hurting deeper than yourself is his heart for you. Because any father, any mother is going to have this deep desire for their children to do the right thing and to be blessed in life. You're hurting his heart by not putting him first. Think about it from his vantage point and what he's done for you and how he's forgiven you and so forth. He's worthy to have our lives submitted to him, to walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called. He's worthy of that. He died for our sins. So I know that it can change from one moment to the next, one week to the next, or, and, and, and you know we can get, put ourselves back on the throne and all these things. He doesn't want all this up and down stuff. He wants the steady increase of growth in all of our lives. And again, I confess that I have not done that as much as I should, just like you, I'm sure, are this, in the same situation. But let's, we're all growing together. We're all getting closer to the Lord together. These, the, all, these, all these things that he's saying to disciples are to bring him glory in this world, to focus on his kingdom, to put him first, and to be used in this life for his purposes. But we have to say, I'm going to put you first, God. 
And maybe you need to say that to him today afresh. If you want to say that to him publicly today, and you want us to pray for you, I want you to stand right now and we're going to pray for you. And I'm standing already. Okay? I'm, all, I'm standing here already. I'm automatically standing for every one of these things. So we're going to pray for you. There's another one. You want to put him first. I'm not saying that you, if you're sitting that you don't want to put him first. I'm not saying that. Okay? Please understand. But you want to take a public stand. You want prayer. You, you want absolutely sold out. want to put him first at all costs. It hasn't been the case as much as you and you feel like you need to stand today and have us pray for you. One more chance. Go ahead and stand. You're in a, this is a family here. We're all for you. We're 100% for you. You're in the most safest place you could possibly be right now. It's right here. Anyone else? Let's pray. Father, I pray for all of our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, help us. You know what each one of us needs to put you first, what that means for each one of our lives. I pray, Father, that we would completely surrender. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us. Thank you that you're so patient with those with little faith. You still are there with us. You still love us. You still care about every need that we have. Even when we're not faithful to you, you're still a loving Father. Thank you that we can't get you to stop loving us. Thank you that you're gracious, Lord, and you bless us even when we don't deserve it. And I pray, Lord, for every single person here that's standing, that, that, that sense by your spirit that they need to do so. I pray that you'd pour out your spirit on them right now. That you would overwhelm them by your Holy Spirit. you come upon them and that you would meet them right where they're at and they would be overflowing with your Holy Spirit right now. And they would be encouraged by you. Thank you, Father, that you interrupt what we're doing in our lives to help us to get back on track. Thank you for your word. We thank you for these, these dear ones. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's